Hi, this is Andy Crawshaw from the Game Plan Podcast, where we'll be discussing functional fitness, health, well-being, and becoming your best version. If you're looking to perform at your best in the gym, on the competition floor, or in just everyday life, listen in with Carter Douglas, the creator of the Game Plan, and myself. Hey guys, this is Carter Douglas. We'll be discussing topics and strategies that you can put to practice right away to build long-term habits for life. Welcome to episode five, guys. I'm Andy, and this is Carter. G'day, guys. You, so, know, you know, Andy, I'm actually really surprised it's already been five weeks with this one. Like, we were talking about the podcast a little while ago, and something like, yeah, we should probably do that. We just threw ourselves in the deep end to do it, and it's been interesting. I actually quite enjoy this. Who's, Dem- whose Dem- idea is this, by the way? I'm pretty sure you came up with it. Was it actually? I'm pretty sure you threw it my way, and I was like, I actually don't hate that, but the main reason I don't hate that is because initially I was actually a little bit scared of talking on a mic for a long period of time. Oh, uh, you know, what? I do kind of remember now. I, th- I think it was just like, it was a very compulsive decision just to say, screw it. Let's just like throw ourselves in the deep end and start doing a podcast like everyone else. This, <laughs> this is actually more of like a kind of an exercise of just trying to speak well and fluidly for an audience really. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. It's just like, learning and practicing how to speak and how to actually communicate with others. Well, I've noticed quite a bit. I know you're getting a lot more uh, feedback from people as they listen to the other episodes, but we're getting a lot of uh, positive feedback, but also it it has allowed us to kind of adjust how we uh, present the information to you guys for through this audio format. Yeah, definitely. The, the pretty much the goal, like, that we talked about is we want this to be as much of just a general discussion as possible because we're constantly talking. So just having as much of a, just a general discussion, bringing up certain topics and our opinions on them. That's right. How dodgy was our first two episodes though? Oh man, don't, don't <laughs> even go back and listen to those. Ones. I mean, unless you're actually willing to, uh, are competing in the AFFF uh, Masters HQ or Super Online Qualifier, you may want to because it's our little review on those ones. But that was just because we had no topic. Those are more warm-ups, yeah. warm-up episodes. If you do want to start on these podcasts, start in episode three. Three is the good one, I think. Or the one that we released to everyone and is our pilot episode. I'll say it's our pilot. Yeah. So really, if we kind of really sum it all up, we've only done three episodes <laughs> that <Yes>. we like. <laughs> <laughs> only three good ones anyway. But uh, no, nah, that's I, I appreciate all the feedback so far. But let's get into today's or this week's uh, topics. So... So first of all, uh, with episode three there, you probably would have heard, and I know I copped a little bit of a bit of slack here from a few people about how close we were. Uh, now, you, you guys will be safe to know, well, sorry, it's safe to say now that we are actually self-isolating a little bit more. We pretty much haven't really left the house the other day, but what's been happening with you, Andy? Like, what's changed with you? Oh, just basically... I've just lived basically with you for the last, like, what? Has it been four days? Yeah, four or five days, something like that. Uh, just in an attempt to basically keep myself isolated from my folks that uh, I was living uh, with before, just because they're a little bit older, uh, putting my best foot forward and just trying to keep them safe, really. And also, we just got a ton of work that we can just crank, uh, crank out right now. And it's just uh, it's been super fun so far just being on fire for the last four days. 
Yep, yep, definitely. And I mean, I was a bit lonely anyway because uh, my partner's just gone away to work for a month. So it's uh, been great having some company around. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more fun and uh, a different environment, especially now that uh, things are shaken up. It's kind of bringing a little bit more positivity into the field uh, that we're playing in. So let's talk about our first topic here. Our first topic is variation slash variety of training right now. Let's so, yeah. Let's Andy, talk a little deeper about like what that means for an individual, I guess. Yeah. Andy, how have you been going? I mean, at home, I've got a fairly decent setup. Definitely uh, lent out a lot of equipment from Chasing Better. That was been great. Thanks, guys. But how have you found training recently with a little bit more restriction around what equipment you can use in the variety? How have yeah. you been going there? Definitely from two perspectives. I mean, just before even having access to some more equipment now, before when I was just training at home, I, as I said before, I only have a few kettlebells and I find myself doing the same workout over and over and over again. It's kind of get a little bit, a little bit uh, repetitive and frankly boring. So because of that, even my frequency of training has dropped quite significantly. I feel I need to start playing around a lot more variations, not just in terms of the movement, but also energy systems activated during the movement. So I know that, you know, doing a shoulder press with a kettlebell, uh, it's, it's more of me just trying to do it in a format of maybe a five by five, or maybe even uh, lower reps or higher reps, depending on that, um, that day. But again, I feel like even my aerobic system is not getting the, the, um, the strain that it usually does get during a week of training properly with the adequate equipment. But I'm bored to basically sum it all up. Yeah, fair enough. We've, well, I've definitely had a lot of questions about this one recently. A lot of people have been asking about training, variety of training, how to actually add variance into their training. And that can come down to a, just a how to come up with new movements. You know, people are very limited with equipment. Another thing is, they just train the exact same energy systems constantly because they do not know how to actually design anything different around that. Or maybe they are limited with their time. So they're literally specifically doing workouts that only last 10 minutes every single time. Or maybe they've got a little bit of a desire to get something like a six pack for next summer. So they're just doing 100 sit-ups a time every single day. And one, they're getting bored. Two, they're probably lacking results here. So... We're going to talk a little bit more on that one. I'll go into the equipment in a second, but a big thing that I've seen, and I'll talk with Andy about this one as well. A big thing that I've seen is people are designing their whole training programs around their specific equipment that they need, or maybe even just their own body if they don't actually have any equipment at Mm. all. They're not necessarily thinking about our human, uh, our human body's movement patterns. They're literally thinking, I have a barbell. What can I do with a barbell? I can clean, deadlift, snatch, bench. Okay, sure. Sure, that is a lot of different movement patterns, but they're very uh, narrow-minded in the way of actually designing these workouts or programs or anything like that. So I want to talk about initially the movement patterns. Now, the movement patterns are really going to help you actually vary how you program or how you design workouts. And I'll talk about that one in a second. But the movement patterns, our human body can move through a squat, a lunge, a push, a pull, a bend, core, and then locomotion. 
Now, firstly, the last two, hopefully majority of our listeners here know squat, lunge, push, pull, and bend, bend slash hinge. Now, core, the reason why that one is itself, yes, you are using your core through all of those other five, but your core is a very intricate uh, system all in itself. There are a lot going on. There's so many different ways that you can train your core. Locomotion, that is literally moving. That is moving your body. That is moving an external object. That is literally Mm. going for a run, everything like that. So Andy, have you actually been utilizing or looking into anything like this currently? Not in a structure like that. Again, like I feel like I'm trying to be more resourceful just with the equipment that I do have. But in saying that, it hasn't been as much of a systemized uh, approach. But, you know, I think just because of my past history of training, I do have like a a subconscious um, awareness to activating all those systems just generally through uh, my own programming. But uh, definitely the ones I can see, you know, basically in that list is locomotion, which has been lacking a lot and probably bend as well, especially looking at the lack of equipment, you know, I guess a bend, what would you say would be the, uh, a common well-known bend um, uh, movement there for a person at a gym? Probably the most used one would be a variation of a deadlift. Right. Okay. That could be deadlift, RDL, sumo deadlift, kettlebell deadlift, maybe, well, for some, even a kettlebell swing. Okay. Yeah. So I guess with the equipment that you do have, or do or I have basically, I have been able to get all of those in. It's more or less just a personal, uh, the reason why locomotion, I guess, is the one which is lacking is because that one requires a little bit more um, mental resilience to to get around to. If you're, it's a lot more, I guess, easy and especially what you just said before, if you're under a specific time domain and you don't want to necessarily do an hour workout and you can do like maybe a 15 minute workout, you can do a pull push a squat complex or something like that um, without having to jack the heart rate too much. Whereas with locomotion, it requires quite a bit of almost planning and training and preparation to do like a 20 minute AMRAP of, you know, lunge, pull, squat, the same kind of format. And as well as just the psychological approach to it all, you're do- you don't have the people around you to push you more if you're not necessarily uh, motivated to train that system anyway. But uh, yeah, that's from my perspective. I believe looking at that, actually, I probably could program a bit more structured set of uh, of movements and workouts uh, around more of a holistic um, uh, approach to just health here. Hmm. Yeah. So reason why I wanted to bring up these movement patterns, these seven different movement patterns that our body goes through is because a lot of people forget about our body moving as a system and as a whole. A lot of people really just design workouts specifically. Well, they think, okay, I only have my body to move. What can I do there? Push-ups, squats, sit-ups, mm. sweet. Mm. So they end up just doing a million reps of a push-up, squat, sit-up. Now you are missing out on a bend. You are missing out on a pull there. You're missing out on a lunge. You're missing out on any locomotion there as well. So really you're missing out on a lot. Well, four of those movement patterns. Yes, four. I did count that one correctly. You missed out on four of those movement patterns just right there, which means your body as a whole is actually becoming less, hate the use of this term, but less functional per se. Right, right. Because you are limiting certain movement patterns. So instead of specifically targeting or trying to design workouts around what you have available, 
try get creative. You can use any piece of equipment to do any one of these movement patterns and it literally just comes down to how creative you want to be. Right. Is, well, what's the consequence of focusing more down on one or two of these movement patterns versus let's looking at the holistic approach, let's say in this period of time you are actively trying to get a more stronger squat or at least you just want to maintain your squat uh, and as a result of that thought process, you're working squat a lot more and maybe you are uh, taking a rest on locomotion or maybe even a, a bend or a push or whatever. Is there quite a huge, uh, I guess, a downside to that moving back into the gym? Hmm, good question. The My thoughts on that are it depends, as in it depends on the individual and their goals. For example, if you are training for a powerlifting competition and you need a better, better squat, sure, you're probably going to do squats a little bit more. If you're training for general health, we probably want to look at this as a little bit more of a holistic approach and actually try and train everything as much as possible because we want to get back in the gym and at least have maintained, if not improved, all of our movements, ideally, mm. even mm. with the limited equipment that we've got here. So... A lot of people are using this time as uh, I suck at X, so I'm just going to do 100 reps of that a day every single day, which doesn't necessarily get you better at whatever that movement is. Let's take the push-pull, for example. So the push-pull is re in relation to the shoulder girdle, so a push or a pulling motion coming from a shoulder girdle and the scapula. If you overload and just do a ton of push-ups, then you, one, your actual shoulder blade, your scapula, your shoulder joint is definitely going to be weaker as a whole because now you are just uh, only using one plane. You're only using one motion rather than actually balancing out your shoulder in general, which means your push-up is probably not actually going to get that much stronger because you do need to be able to move that shoulder blade to do push-ups well. Right, okay. Just, uh, just a thought on that. Um, I've been thinking about just as you're saying – uh, push pull because that reminds me back in the day of my regular splits push pull legs and I was thinking because we're moving in more into a, a home base workout we may not have the programming to do a, a full mixed modal um, workout actually that's a good question as well would you uh, suggest almost breaking it down into push pull legs or would you recommend doing mixed modal on most days so let's say for instance on a week you do push-pull legs, rest, push-pull legs. Or would you say, let's say if it was a six-day training day, a uh, week, uh, mixed modal, so you're training every movement uh, system every day, but you're, you're limiting your movements down, so your rep range is lower for each movement, but you're spreading that across the domain of the week. Would you say it's more appropriate now, or is that also dependent on the person's progression during uh, basically their progression as an athlete? Hmm. All right, this one's going to go into energy systems a little bit here. So looking at that one, what you were saying there, the push-pull leg split does work. The push-pull leg split is great for resistance training. It's definitely something that can happen there. When you're saying bringing mixed modal into this, mixed modal does not necessarily... Make, Translate. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need to be full body, meaning you can use push-pull leg splits with let's say let's just use use this one on legs i'm going to do my part a is a five by five squat my mixed modal piece so mixed modality 
That does not mean that it needs to be full body there. I can make this purely a legs-based workout there. Okay, okay. So I could still use that structure of, you know, let's say leg day, arm day, back day, etc., and I can design workouts around many different energy systems, well, all of the um, energy systems specific to that day, if your goal is to actually get fitter as well. So generally when we're talking about for health, my general prescription here is sustainable aerobic work and resistance training, meaning resistance training, that could be any form of weightlifting. Okay, I don't mean weightlifting necessarily as the sport per se. That can be, you know, just pretty much shifting and moving a load with your body. Mm. Now, sustainable aerobic work, that means work, meaning training, that you can sustain. Something that you can sustain for a very long period of time. We are releasing a blog soon on the Chasing Metal website about uh, designing workouts for health, which has, I go really in depth on this one in that one, but pretty much sustainable aerobic work is something that you can sustain, something that you can utilize and you can do for a very long period of time, but something that you can also repeat the following day, the following day, and for 10 years down the track. So if you are looking at your body and you are wanting to become healthier, okay, then sustainable work is going to be your best friend here because real anaerobic work, something that is short, sharp, sprint style, you know, our typical CrossFit-esque style workout, Fran, 21, 15, 9, you know, seven minutes of burpees, that sort of stuff. You can't back that up today and then tomorrow and then the next day and hit the exact same times, okay? Especially if you are going a hundred, like you're 100%. If you want to be healthy, you want to build your aerobic system. You want your lungs, your heart to actually get better. You want to be able to shift blood around your body better so you can move lymph, move everything like that, move waste products. Okay, then. So would you say almost format your workouts at home very similar to how a class would be formatted? You start off with your warm-up and then you go into your strength or your resistance-based training. Let's say it would be a heavier squat or lunge uh, or variation based on the equipment available and then going straight into a bit more of a uh, was it aerobic or um, this higher intensity uh, workout? I'm also going to throw another, it depends in here because obviously that does depend on the goals. Mm-hmm. If we're talking majority of humans, we're all just trying to get a little bit healthier, a little bit fitter. Warm up, very, very important. Don't ever try and uh, watch me train because I don't do it that much, but it is very, very important. <laughs> but when what we're talking about, what comes after that, it doesn't necessarily need to be a structured order of resistance training followed by a workout. You could do on one day, if you are limited on time, you could do a longer piece. You could also do three short pieces, all specifically around aerobic sustainable training, or you could just do a day specifically on resistance training. Okay. Okay. So you don't need to, and this is where obviously having a communication, having some communication with a coach comes into it because you don't need to be doing everything every single day. And that also goes back to your actual, the movement patterns as well is you don't need to be doing all movement patterns every single day. But when we're looking at this as a whole, you know, across a week, across even two weeks to a month, you want to have at least targeted all of those movement patterns and ideally all of those energy systems within that time. 
but the majority of your training should be done when it comes down to your uh, work or your energy system work we'll use, then it should be done in a sustainable manner, something where you finish and you don't feel wrecked from. So because you want to be able to do the same deal again the next day, you don't want that brain fog afterwards, especially if you're about to go into actual, you know, life work. So you want to be able to repeat what you can do. Okay. And that's where I think a lot of people are missing. People are just thinking that they need to hammer themselves constantly and you don't necessarily need to feel wrecked to actually be able to, uh, to be able to get fitter, get healthier. Right. So I was really taking a much more of a body awareness uh, approach to this. And it might even mean starting off a little bit on a lower volume than you normally would just to gauge whether or not you're feeling the, uh, the appropriate stimulus and the, um, the post stimuli, which might be just, you know, feeling wrecked or, uh, really exhausted just to go into your everyday work, having that awareness to that, that probably is a good marker right now to start trying to adjust for. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So if I was going to say, let's say the majority of the listeners, would you say they're basically, they're people who are, they're generally pretty healthy, very conscious, and they do want to progress maybe not as much as a, a games athlete or an RX athlete. They're more in the beginners to intermediate range. And they are looking to uh, just basically keep healthy, stay consistent. Could you, What would you outline in terms of maybe, I don't know if this is the best way to look at it, but a percentage split between uh, strength and aerobics to really keep a good sustainable um plan for a week if they were looking at it at this from a week's perspective let's say yeah i'm this one is obviously a very much an it depends question because obviously yeah. i work a lot with individuals here and if you've ever been into a class that i coach i try to we have a rule a guided workout but i'll try and adjust said workout to the individual okay that doesn't necessarily mean changing it but trying to suit it specifically to the individual now Using that for this one, I'm just going to be very general here. Yeah, yeah. Very, very general. In a week, first of all, we need to take into account rest days. Rest days are very, very important. They differ per person. Generally, I recommend as a rule of thumb, two rest days. Okay, Especially if you are training right now, somewhat similar to what you were training when you are in the gym, two rest days is generally fairly important. Some people need more. If they have a stressful life outside of training, then you're probably going to need more because your body needs to adapt from the stress. If you live the most relaxed life ever, pretty much like we are right now, then you could probably train a sixth day, potentially a seventh, and maybe give it a rest day every, you know, sorry, two rest days every fortnight or something like that. So you can actually bring that back a little bit. So first of all, rest days are important, okay? The days that they are on, Generally, I recommend breaking your week up, something like a Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, something like that. But uh, with the, with those rest days, make sure, well, I generally recommend them not being together, okay? Some people do enjoy that or it is better for them with their structure, their schedule. That is up to you, okay? Just pay attention to your body there or have a chat with the coach. Now, with the rest of it, I recommend on a weekly basis, trying to get all of the movement patterns mentioned, which are, again, squat, lunge, push, pull, bend, core, and locomotion, trying to get all those seven in a week. Now, that doesn't necessarily need to be all on one day. That doesn't necessarily need to be one each day. 
okay? You could design a workout, a longer uh, duration workout, let's say a 30-minute AMRAP with 400-meter run, there's some locomotion work, come back, followed by 20 Russian kettlebell swings, followed by 10 V-ups, okay? I'm just throwing some random movements and random numbers out there. Boom, there's three of your movement, movement patterns done, okay, in one day. Now, while you're actually looking at this one as well, you should be thinking about how much, sorry, how much volume, volume you are doing in each movement pattern, okay? Because some of these do inhibit one another. If, for example, we're talking about the shoulder girdle, the push-pull, if you're doing, you know, 500 reps of pushing a week and only 100 of pulling, you've got a bit of an imbalance there. So just have a little bit of a look at that. You don't need to be super specific on that, super scientific, but just have a look and make sure there's nothing that stands out. Like I'm running 50Ks a week and I'm also squatting 500 reps, but I'm not even doing anything with my upper body because you're not exactly going to have a good time there. Your body's not going to love you for that. So anyway, going back to the whole approach of the week, add in your rest days, utilize all of those movement patterns in a week. Now, how you design that one, whether it's workouts or whether it is strength work or resistance training, that is up to you when it comes down to your goals. Okay, you may only be doing resistance training, but still try to get all of those movement patterns in, in a week. Mm. So basically, yeah, it all comes down to how you skew these accordingly to your specific goals and also things like maybe injury, maybe a factor as well. And as well as things like just time and domain and that kind of stuff. But overall, it is a very individualized thing. And you can probably adjust this based on just writing down, all right, let's have a look at all of these movement patterns. Where can we send, uh, set a bit of a, a percentage almost in terms of a, a load or a frequency of reps and just see visually how it is, uh, how it looks during a week and just fine lining all the areas of which might be a bit of a exaggeration for instance the you know 50ks a week and you're also doing squats but you're doing like zero push-ups or pull-ups or anything upper body so just taking it from that perspective and just visualizing it is a big part of it i guess um and here's a question as well because on the um the topic on variation i'm seeing a lot of people i don't know if it's a good idea i'm seeing a lot of people doing squats with their couch on their back and and just i don't know in my head i feel like that's resourceful gonya the other side of me says you're gonna hurt yourself don't do that what is the appropriate response to this you want to know my opinion as to whether people should do squats with a couch on their back or whatever like a dog i don't know a, a, a person <laughs> i love the fact that people have force themselves to be super resourceful through this time and utilize uh, different objects, but... They're ob ob odd objects. Odd so objects for sure. <laughs> so if you're going for a strong man, this might be a good thing. Yeah. My initial opinions on that is don't be an idiot. Meaning... Don't it, put your ca like your cabinet on your shoulders. Yes. Like <laughs> First of all, don't break yourself. Second of all, don't break anything in your house because you're, if you live with anyone else, those people are probably going to be pretty pissed off at you. So with, this, with those ones, feel free to do it. If you don't have access to any loaded equipment, go for it. Have some fun with that one. But please, please 
be smart about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would almost, I'm, I'm concerned. Like, I almost say like, all right, put something on your back that might be, if you don't have a barbell, sure, put on like a, I don't know, carry a few chairs on your back. I don't know what's the best, most comfortable odd object equipment to put on your back. But maybe at least do more of a higher rep range. Use more time and attention if you're working on strength. Then go and try out your max squat with your couch. Yes, definitely no maxing out your squat with your just, couch. Just be smart, I guess, is the rule of thumb here. Yeah. Well, a good uh, alternative to your couch would be just get a backpack. And a lot of yeah. people are like, but I don't have weight to put in my backpack. Yes, yes you, you do. do. Yeah. <laughs> if you have cans around your house, put some cans in there. If you have anything that around, that is literally sitting around your house that is small, that is weighted, put that in there. Put some water bottles in there. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a cool thing that you can actually start looking at things in your house that you can fashion into like a regular gym equipment. And it almost makes you think like, wow, this is actually quite straightforward and simple. Your coffee table can be a bench. Yeah. That's how easy it could be. I think... Even like when you test grow- it first before you load it up. Yeah, don't, if, don't go try doing box jumps on, on a, your bench. on your glass. Yeah, coffee table. <laughs> um, I remember because I remember when when I was a kid, when I was just training and I had zero equipment. This is like bringing me back. I'm just like I remember I used to use my uh, coffee table as a bench and I'd elevate it with some cushions and I'd use like empty water bottles and I'd just fill them up and do some progressive overload with uh, with some chest press with the water bottles. And just fill them up as I get stronger, and that that was that worked really well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, of course it worked. Look at the guy's chest. Oh, I try. Well, I then just went to the gym and got bigger afterwards. But yeah, I mean, during high school, you're full of testosterone, so you're gonna get huge anyway if you do any work. Not if you're me. No. <laughs> well. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of an unevenness here. I don't understand. You do much more physical activity than I do. But yeah, uh, on the topic of variation and also being quote unquote injury prone, are you noticing a little bit more of that coming up in terms of how uh, clientele are responding to this situation right now? Are people becoming more prone to injury? Or are there more injuries coming up because of maybe odd, odd object utilization or just because of the variation thing we just talked about, the repeated use of the same movement uh, or uh, movement patterns has caused a little bit more aggravation in the targeted area? Have you noticed that? Yes, I have. You just sparked a little uh, bit of a thought pattern in my brain, so I'm going to go back a step okay. for a second. Uh-huh. The Going back to the variation, just a little recap on that one. With the variation, so first of all, you want to look at the movement patterns you're doing, okay? Squat, lunge, push, pull, bend, core, locomotion. With the equipment that you have, you want to be trying to be as creative as possible, whether you've got kettlebell, barbell, plates, anything like sandbag, anything like that, trying to use these movement patterns as regularly as you can involving those pieces of equipment, okay? So if you're getting bored of doing the exact same movements, Write down these movement patterns. Write down every movement that falls underneath each movement pattern. That's not saying a squat just needs to be, you know, a barbell back squat or an air squat. That could be a squat, could also be a variation of a pistol, okay? That can be a sandbag squat. That can be, literally, there's many variations of this sissy squat, you know. We know lots of them. But anyway, write down every variation under that and then add your pieces of equipment to those movements. How can I use these equipment, these pieces of equipment, 
in those movements to actually make myself get a little bit better. So that is one way to look at it, to add some variety of movements in your training. Another one, if you're actually looking to get stronger, okay, and this is gonna tie into the injury side of things in a second, is add tempo. Andy brought this one up before, but add tempo into your training. Meaning, if you don't actually have that much weight to lift and you want to maintain your strength or get stronger, move slower. More time under tension helps heaps. For example, if I can normally, well, what, what is a comfortable bench press for you, Andy, with kettlebell? Uh, sorry, with dumbbells. Let's uh, say for a set of five. Set of five, comfortable, and I'm not going uh, Let's say like almost a five rep max. You're pushing the load a little bit. Oh, uh, I can do probably 40. Yep, 40 a hand. Yeah. Yep, okay. So Andy's got 40 kilo dumbbell per hand for five reps, bench press. Okay. Andy doesn't have 40 kilo dumbbells right now, but he's got access to, let, let's say- Oh, uh, we got I got twenty four kilogram kettlebell. Yeah. yeah, we got twenty four kilo kettlebells. We so with that one, he could use those twenty four kilo kettlebells, which obviously are significantly lighter for him. He doesn't necessarily need to add a ton more reps and be doing twenty rep maxes every time. He could be doing sets of five to ten by adding a five second lower and a five second raise in every single movement, or even some pauses in the bottom, mm. some pauses at the top. He can vary his training by adding more time under tension there, okay? Without necessarily needing to add a ton more reps, that will get your body stronger as a whole. On the concentric and the eccentric as well, having a time under tension between those two movements and not necessarily going to an explosive uh, concentric? Yeah, so yeah. you can vary that, meaning you could do a five-second eccentric, so that's lower down to the chest, into an explosion up of a concentric, okay? It could even be a you know, controlled lower, one or two second down, pause in the bottom for a five count, and then an exploded up. Now, all of those variations are very individualized, so I'm not really going to go into detail of that one, but skewing that now into injury because we're actually going to talk about that tempo training in the injury side of things. Coming from my clientele, I haven't had, touch wood here, I haven't had anyone actually come up to me and say, I have actually, I have uh, come up with, or I have gained an injury from doing the training since um, the gyms have closed down. A lot of my clients, I'm well, are very, very lucky with actually having adequate equipment, or at least access to maybe not necessarily tons of different equipment, but maybe access to a park that's close by where which has a bench on that they can do something different with, or even they've got a big enough yard so they can actually move around a little bit. It's not like all of my clients are in shoeboxes here. But I personally haven't seen many people uh, mention injury when it comes down to my clients. I, in the past, and we talked about this before, is I've taken on a lot of clients who have initially started with injury and we've worked to actually bring them out of pain. I've also had... Uh, been having some conversations recently with people who either were clients or even are just good friends of mine. And they've mentioned that they have had an injury or they've um, managed to give themselves an injury of any form because of this home training. And generally that comes down to overuse. Right, right. So what would be the, uh, the, course, of, the course of action in that case? So let's decipher why an overuse injury happens. So first of all, an overuse injury generally happens because you have 
increased a stimulus in your body that your body isn't prepared for, okay? So that may mean I have either increased the total repetitions on a certain movement, again, which that certain movement is applying stress to a certain joint or a certain muscle. So, for example, if all of a sudden I've gone from doing, back in the gym, maybe 10 push-ups a week to all of a sudden doing 150 a week, that is a 15 times improvement, okay? Your body may not necessarily be prepared to actually do 15 times that amount of reps, okay? And I'll talk more about how this can impact the body in a second, but that is one of the big reasons why injuries happen is your body is not prepared to withstand what you're uh, what you're applying to it. So what you are trying to make it do, it is not ready to actually withstand it. The second probably, well, the second most common reason for injury is just stupidity of the human being. <laughs> Meaning the person goes and does something absolutely stupid, which they know they shouldn't have done. For example, try to test their 50 meter all out sprint where they've got, uh, where they haven't actually warmed up whatsoever. So, you know, that one, not necessarily the smartest of things. I can go into detail with that one, doing a wonder at max squat with a couch and with your two friends sitting on the couch or something like that. Also not exactly the smartest, but anyway, going back a bit, injury commonly happens when your body isn't actually ready to withstand what you're trying to do to it, okay? So that could be come from repetition, that can come from load, that can even just come from adding load or repetition when you are actually more stressed in general or more tired in general from the rest of your week, okay? So if your sleep has gone down, if your stress has gone up, if your nutrition has gone down, and all of a sudden you do exactly the same thing as what you did last week, all of a sudden your body's not ready for that anymore. So that can actually produce pain. Right. I think people are eating a lot more now and sleeping a lot more. So hopefully that's the reason why injury has not really come up. Um, but looking at someone that is coming, uh, approaching you and they already have some existing injuries, let's say it's an elbow or a knee or a joint uh, issue. Uh, and just looking at it from a perspective of getting them ready to actually train appropriately for the programming that you would present them, what uh, kind of, I guess it does depend on the joint and the person, but are there some general things that you can do to start um, getting ready and preparing yourself for the appropriate uh, programming, uh, let's say approaching any coach really? Yeah, so... A big thing for starting on with any client and what any coach should do is assess the client, okay? So that could come down to movement assessments, watching them move. That might be through like a Zoom call. That might be through sending them through some videos and get them to do the videos and send them back to you, especially right now because we can't be close to one another. Um, if you're actually in the gym, you should be watching them move. So movement assessment is key, okay? Watching how they move is very, very important. In uh, relation to that one as well, we can also talk about actually seeing how strong or able they are in certain positions, which goes along with the movement assessment there as well. Now, taking a little step back quickly, we talked about lo the loading okay, of the body and how that can cause injury. 
when we're talking about injury here, this can come down to a joint, ligament, tendon, muscle, could be anything like that, okay? It can just come down to some uh, inflammation of the joint due to bad movement patterns, okay? So, as well as overloading a joint when it comes down to uh, load or volume, we can also... Um, we can also cause damage to a joint or any of those structures that I mentioned before if we have bad movement patterns, okay? So if we move badly, okay? So first thing that I generally do when I actually meet a new client or assess a new client is I watch them and I go through my own specific movement assessments here, which I'm not going to elaborate on too much, but I watch them move, okay? I get them to send me videos, especially if it's a remote client, of how they move through certain positions what their flexibility and their mobility are or what they have available, okay? To make sure that there's nothing massive that I see that is an instant uh, red flag before moving on to the strength assessments to make sure they have proper structural balance of their joints. All right, cool. All right, what if I already, let's say I've sent you all of this information, these videos, yeah. and you've seen how I've... Uh, how I move weight around and then you assess whether or not it is a good format or not. But like, let's say I had a, a very much a conscious feeling of like my elbow does get um, sore or fatigued or there's a lot of pressure in there. Once I do a high volume of, let's say, overhead work or anything, which is a push or a pull, and that is a lot more um, prevalent than the other arm. Let's take the elbow, for instance. Is there any exercises or things you can do to prevent that or would you label that already as a certain uh like even i don't know tennis elbow would you be able to like diagnose that from your perspective as a coach first of all technically i'm not allowed to diagnose wrong anything. word to use but yes carry on <laughs> <laughs> technically as a coach definitely not allowed to diagnose anything okay i'm not a physiotherapist i've just looked into the human body a fair bit. Again, okay? I would never actually try and diagnose anyone uh, when it comes down to that. Now, with using the elbow as an example here, my first initial thoughts, what I would always do is look at the person's previous or most recent training program, okay? this You guys can use this one for yourselves as well if you are in a little bit of pain at the moment. Look at your current training program. Those movement patterns that we talked about earlier, are you overdoing any one of those? Okay, do you look at one and go, oh crap, I am really overdoing my push or my pull or something along those lines, okay? Another thing to look at when it comes down to the elbow is how much time am I spending holding onto certain objects, okay? How much use is my are my forearms getting, okay? And we'll break down the elbow in just a second, but how much use are my forearms getting? So obviously with the elbow, if I'm spending a lot of time gripping, and even if I'm not doing much pull or push work, but I'm actually doing a shitload of locomotion work, which involves farmer's carries, my elbow may get a little bit annoyed if every now and then I do go overhead because they my forearms are ridiculously overused. So initially, my first thoughts are look at what you've been doing recently. Is there any red flags within that? Okay, that's the first step. Second step would be me taking on a client, okay, or even you guys designing a program for yourselves would be if there are red flags, literally just try and balance out those red flags. Try and decrease what you're overdoing and see if it gets a little bit better. Okay, give it a few days. 
if it does get it a little bit better, sweet, you're on the right track, okay? Mm. If you obviously gone back with the assessment, if you have any movement uh, issues when it comes to mobility restrictions and whatnot, try and get on top of those as well, okay? So there's two things there. Look at what you've previously done and try and decrease that or try and bat, sorry, also try to balance that out a little bit more. Look at any at any movement restrictions you may have. Try to improve those. If it still doesn't get better or worse, sorry, if it doesn't get better, if anything, if, if it gets worse, then you're going to have to do a little bit more to assist with that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But if it's definitely not getting better with that, that's when we're going to actually have to start looking at not just the movement, not just uh, your amount of volume, but more so specifically your structure, as in when we're talking about the elbow, there's two main things that actually affect the elbow, and that is your wrist and your shoulder, okay? The elbow is a considered a stable joint, okay? It is considered a joint that is made to be stable, not to actually be a mobile joint, not to be something that moves around uh, freely. It literally only bends and extends, okay? So flexes and extends. Your wrist and your shoulder are both very mobile joints, okay? If they lack mobility, lack movement, and lack strength in these ranges, your elbow is going to cop a lot more of the load here, okay? So I've looked at your overall volume. It looks fine. I've also looked at your general movement patterns. They look okay, okay? Now we're going to have to look up and downstream of the joint and go, is there anything, any red flags there? For example, have you ever had a wrist injury? Hmm. Yeah. Have you ever had a shoulder injury? Are you really bad at actually pressing overhead? For example, can you actually get good shoulder flexion, which means can you get your arms in line with your ears without having to force anything? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It also sounds like that these are also just indicators, the slight little indicators that will prevent a lot of progression when you are trying to lift a higher load, especially in the future. So I'm guessing right now a lot of people even though they're trying to maintain or progress, there is also that uh, feeling that if they were to, I guess, reduce the reps to take care of a, uh, a niggle or something like that, that they are not going to actually build um, any strength or lack strength uh, moving back into a gym, that perhaps it's actually a good idea to let it rest because in the future, once trying to achieve a higher lift, a more heavier lift, sorry, that that will be a very... Um, a preventative, um, uh, I guess, metric to look at or, or a key aspect to look at the injury itself um, so that, you know, how do I explain it? Looking at it from a, uh, an outcome mindset kind of perspective, if you take care of what you have now, you're going to be able to lift more in the future. That yep. basically sums it up. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. So pretty much main thing to look at here is, you know, can you move well? Are all the structures around the joint moving well? Two, is your training overloading or overdoing uh, the the joint that, or sorry, the joint or the structure that you're actually that is actually in pain? And then, so another thing, actually, with your with your talk about rest, there, rest is not necessarily the key to healing anything. Rest does help, okay. But sometimes parts of your body will show pain, not necessarily because it is overused, okay, but sometimes because it is over weak. 
Okay, then. Okay. Yeah. So this can be come down to any of the structures of the body. So if one area is significantly weaker than others, it may not actually need more rest. It may be showing pain, but it may not actually need more rest. It may actually need... Not, I'm not saying more work, guys. Don't go and do, you know, a million reps mm. of bicep curls just because, you know, I said to, you need to strengthen up uh, your biceps to help your elbow. But that means that you may actually need to spend some time strengthening up a certain joint, okay? Or a certain tendon or a certain ligament, okay? Especially when it comes down to knees. I've seen this one very, very regularly. And a lot of people right now go on, well, I've heard of, are going through some knee issues due to the excessive running that they're doing. Something like along the lines of like an eccentric knee flexion, Google that one, guys, YouTube that one, is great for patella tendon health. Okay, so great for the strengthening up the tendon that quite regularly is a common issue in people's uh, knee health. I see a lot of people with what's considered patella tendonitis. Okay, a lot of people actually get knee pain due to this due to excessive running, everything like that, if we spend some time actually strengthening up the tendons, that is actually going to make you better, not necessarily just resting. In that meantime, you might need a rest from the movement that is causing pain, but you can do other things to actually still stress the joint and build up the strength. Interesting. So is there an obvious gauge as to whether or not you need to actually strengthen that focus area or that you just need to give it a little bit more time? Good, very good question. Trying to answer that one. Once again, it is very much an it depends answer because I'll come up with these answers dependent on their movement and strength balance assessment that I that I do with people. Okay? Right. Okay. So trying to make that assumption off of that, I I literally can't. Okay. There are obviously because it also depends per joint, per individual, per training program, everything along those lines. So as a brief little like summary here guys if you are feeling pain or injury first of all look at what you've been doing has there been any red flags to overdo anything if so try and take those ones out next of all test your movement patterns can you do and do you do the movements that are causing you pain do you do them well can your body and can move through full range of motion well and pain-free or even just comfortably next focus on well Find out what is causing you grief, okay? As in what joint? If it, is it the joint itself? Is it a specific muscle, specific tendon or anything like that? Test the range of motion of said joint and then maybe even make your own little decision of is it tight or is it just very, very weak, okay? Give it a little bit of a rest if you need. If it doesn't necessarily get better, I definitely recommend consulting someone because you know physios, yeah. everything like that are still open right now. Definitely. I think that's the biggest uh, takeaway as well is just having a, a third party perspective on your movements from a professional is probably uh, the best course of action. Otherwise, you will be just guessing and checking and self-diagnosing, which can probably lead to more injury. I've seen that quite a lot uh, where it's yeah a weak area may actually just need a little time to rest and vice versa. And as a result, just injures the a target area a little bit more and just causes a little bit more pain and that that will just set back your goals that much more. So, yeah. and another thing as well, just uh, as a quick one, if you guys just want to have a bit of a spreadsheet or just a list to download that will allow you to look at these movement patterns and also just 
write up a relative uh, personal workout or just your own movements based on those movement patterns, there's a downloadable PDF uh, if you go check out the game plan um, on Facebook. So I'll just have a link there for you guys as soon after this uh, podcast release. Awesome. Now, I think that's enough of education for today. Let's have a little bit more of a discussion, which you guys might get a little bit out of anyway. So we're going to talk about nutrition. This is obviously a big one. Yeah, I know we've gone on for a little while here, haven't we? We can actually talk. Um, We're going to talk about nutrition, which is a big one in most people's realms right now. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, for me personally, it is not a big one in my life. Okay, it is not one that I really, really focus on. It's one that I do encourage a lot of others to focus on, though. Now, Andy here, if you actually know Andy, Andy was training for a... It was a men's physique. Men's physique competition. So it was the ICNWA men's physique comp. It was only just a novice, intermediate, and open categories I was going for. Uh, And it would have been my first time, if not for this uh, little shutdown right now. They're saying that I still went through, I didn't go, once the announcement was made to cancel the, the event, I didn't follow through the rest of the prep just because based off my goals, that was not going to be a, a motivation for me to continue. Though I did get into considerably, I would say decent shape. I reckon you looked all right, man. You did yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably wasn't like the uh, use of a better word, uh, dick skin shredded, but I got, I, th- I felt like I got to a point of which it was almost maintainable, but it required a lot of work and dedication to get to that point. And if appropriate measures were made to um, go further into the depths of, um, of despair when you're going down to those lower body fat percentages, then perhaps, yeah, that, those are the levels that probably won't be, won't be comfortable. And, and at this point in time, if something is not there in terms of an external motivator, for me at least, basically going into place, you know, it's just not fun. Mm. Yeah. All right. I have a few questions for you because I personally haven't actually been through anything like this before. One, when you're at your, I suppose, lowest body fat or when you were getting closer to the competition before, you know, it got canceled, how did you generally feel? What was your general thought process around how you felt, whether that came to training or even just walking around? So as I went lower into the body fat percentages, especially, so it was about four weeks out from comp. I think it was actually three. Yeah, I think it was about that. Because the competition was supposed to be this last last weekend, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. So it would have been about three weeks. So at that point in time, what you would expect is you're about a week away from uh, being stage ready. You want to be about, sta- you basically want to be stage ready within two weeks of the competition. Uh, so you're not putting yourself in that small of a time domain to get down to that percentage. That's just really a a bad practice to get into. But in terms of the way I felt during that point in time, uh, it was probably the worst I've felt for the most longest period of time. It was an overall lack of motivation, uh, both to train, to even work, and it felt quite... Just even just the smallest things aggravated me. So it was much more of an emotional... um, response there as well so my hormones were out of whack and going into prep i was aware of this uh hormones were out of whack my motivation to train was out of whack uh even just uh moving around it felt like everything was with a weight vest like even just moving my arm to fidget 
I would do minimal fidgeting, I would do minimal walking, I would want to stay as uh, sedentary as possible just because of the lack of energy that my body was um, willing to put itself through. And that's just as a result of just your body's adaptation to the lack of calories that you're putting in. So just basically, you felt I felt terrible. Um, and that's not unexpected. Well, you looked good. I looked good, yeah. I felt terrible, I looked good, but that's not unexpected uh, if you're trying to reach that level. We're looking at sub-8 here. We're not looking at like 10 to 8. We're looking at sub-8 where literally... Uh, you can't see an inch of fat on you. You're looking at fiber through like a, a translucent skin. It's it's really gross, but that's what I mean in terms of trying to get into a lower body fat. You, as a response, your body's not going to perform uh, to what you expect post all of the entire uh, preparation for it. If it's a 16, 12 week, 10 week, whatever it is, you're not going to expect the, the feeling you're going to get lower into the depths of body fat. It just sucks. All right, my next question for you. Now, this is probably arguably the most important question here was, how was your libido throughout this time? It was, <laughs> it was absolutely dead. It, non-existent? It, even because I guess a big part of, yeah, non-existent. Like, oh man. I think because even just the leptin levels were so, like they, that was plummeted straight away. That was, I think I felt that in the first, week or so and it kind of linearly goes down after that as well but as a as a response your body's a libido because looking at from a survival perspective if we're looking at this from a uh just a human just a person in the wild just like our ancestors your body is not going to want to reproduce or make offspring if it is in danger if it is starving so as a natural response your body is not going to make you want to search out for a mate so your libido naturally will uh, drop down or drop off entirely. So uh, that was a consequence of going into the lower fat percentages because your body is trying to regulate now just to stay alive. Yeah, okay, okay. So moral of that story is luckily you didn't have a partner throughout oh, this time. Oh, man, yeah, basically. I mean, and, but poor he, ladies, yeah. <laughs> just so you know, he's now got his libido back and oh, he is single. Great. So uh, Thanks. feel Thank free you. to flick and your message. Anyway, now let's go back to uh, next the next question. <laughs> let's go back to the next serious question. So what was, what did the process for you look like a few days after finding out that the competition wasn't going to go on? And I suppose, what did you go through eating wise within the first week after that? Just roughly what happened as soon as you were like, sweet, I don't have to do this anymore. Oh, all right, this is an exciting topic. Okay, so the bounce back from that. So let's just again step back a little bit and just understand that as a person, as you go through these starvation modes, your hormones are trying to just regulate itself and just find a baseline. Your body is trying to find homeostasis. Naturally, your body does not want to lose weight or body fat. Uh, you, it wants to maintain, it wants to stay alive. Now, once we are actively trying to reduce body fat by reducing our calories, based on um, a few measures, whether it be your uh, activity level, your uh, <laughs> calories, your basal metabolic rate, all these metrics. Once we're trying to work off those to reduce our body fat, your body is going to now get to a point where your leptin, for one, uh, it's going to really uh, send some signals to the brain to basically say, eat more. That's your response to basically say, all right, go out, hunt, find food, 
consume, please, because you're going to die. So you're going to feel hungry. That's your leptin. Now, one big part of this is as you reduce your um, calories down and you're at that really fine line of like your body is really trying to make you as um, sedentary as possible. So you're neat. Exercise Sorry, activity. Keep on Non-exercise activity um, thermogenesis. That, met, uh, that number is just going to reduce naturally. You're going to have to produce, uh, bring, build that back up just so you can uh, continue the fat loss. So you're looking at yourself. You're trying to bring that all the way down. Now, once you get to that point in time where, for me, the goal was non-existent, you no longer need to put yourself into that uh, caloric restriction. Uh, your body, it, it just the need to eat was now just available. And so, as a tradition, you go out and have your uh, your your major refeed, your your main like cheat meal afterwards, and where did we go again? KFC? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so instantly I noticed was a bad idea. Uh, a, conf- consuming fats and carbs in the one meal, bad idea. You're also increasing your calories by a drastic amount. That cheat meal might have been 5,000 calories, possibly, because I ate a lot more after that cheat meal. Let's be honest here. I so went- it was more of like a cheat few hours. It was. It wasn't just one meal. It was like many hours. Exactly. Almost a cheat day. Now, my... My caloric, so basically where my body was sitting there in terms of calories was around, I was consuming about 2,200 and that would be on a moderate day. That wasn't on a huge deficit, but that's all my body needed to basically stay alive. Anything above that was stored as fat. And once you put yourself in a huge caloric surplus, rapidly after that, um, that uh, that baseline of 2,200 or wherever it would have been, you're going to store all of that as fat. Not all of it entirely, but a lot of it's going to be stored instantly into storage because your body is now hoarding that in. As a result, your insulin and your uh, leptin is now spiked entirely, and now it becomes this very uh, risky state of where you're getting into a habit of having to try to hoard food. Your brain decides that, ah, oh, you're full, but you can still eat, and you will still eat even though you know you're full. So it's a bit of letting resistance I felt almost leading uh, even a few days afterwards. So you'd be, you'd literally feel bloated as hell. You're full of food. You still want to eat more food. Your body's still saying you, this, your brain's still sending the signal to eat more. So that is a very destructive point in time. So that's kind of the response my body instantly got. And as a result, I gained a lot of the weight back instantly. Like I was back to 16 weeks prior within a week. So pretty much there to abbreviate all of that or to summarize all that, you ate a lot and then your body while eating that big amount of food just wanted more food. It was like going back to, you know, what we're saying before, like our ancestors of sweet, we found some food, we're going to eat that food, and then all of a sudden, yeah, exactly. we want more and we want more because we want to fill up all of our storages in our body as soon as possible to then try and go back to non-starvation mode to go back into survival mode. Okay? Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. So now, next thing, you you just mentioned that you pretty much went from like four weeks out up to 16 weeks out in like the process of one week. Do you feel... And this is more so for, not necessarily for you, but for I'm trying to get this part across to the general public as well. What you were at when you were a couple of weeks out 
would that be sustainable for you across a lifetime? Now, looking at from, see, I would, pref- I would like that to be the case. I would like to be at that body fat for a sustainable period of time and also be able to train, but that was a big factor. I couldn't. I was already so exhausted. My body was trying to not move because it was you know, in that survival mode. So no, I couldn't sustain it because frankly, uh, my body was just not regulating appropriately to the stimuli that was around me. So no, I couldn't maintain it all. Fair enough, fair enough. So I think that's a good one just to note for the general population here, the people who are who want those, I suppose, in a way, those massive, crazy physique goals, but they want to literally hold that for their whole life. They literally want to be, you know, 2% body fat for the rest of their life. They want to have crazy abs. They want to have absolutely huge arms and be really, really low. Pretty much to get to that point, it is not necessarily sustainable. There, there are sustainable ways to get there, but... In order to hold on to that, that's a tough gig. It takes a lot of work. So looking at from, let's say, let's look, let's look at this from a sustainability perspective. Because uh, there, is, there is getting to that body fat aggressively and it is doing it appropriately through, through, through proper programming and training to diet down to that point in time. I think the, the metric that we should look at in terms of getting to a point at which can be sustainable, and when I mean sustainable, I mean maybe 10 to 8%. And also this depends on your goals, but something that's not so low that it puts your body in that really bad, um, uh, it's not even homeostasis, it is just a bad place where your hormones are out of whack. To get to that point where you're about 10, 8 to 10% body fat. Depending on the human being, females are different to guys here. Exactly, sorry, I was referencing uh, guys, but yeah, females, it's, it's totally different and visually it's totally different as well. Uh, to get to that point, the metric would be time. Because if you're aggressively getting to that point, let's say it's a 12-week cut for a photo shoot, getting that weight back is going to be a much more aggressive increase. There's also studies show, so the way that fat works, basically the cell itself, it expands and shrinks as you're losing weight or you're gaining weight, etc. When you're, when you're spiking your insulin, when you're eating a, a huge abundance of food, there has been studies that shown that the actual cell does multiply. So doing that, that's why when you see a lot of people who go into these um, competitions where it's an aggressive cut, an aggressive load, it's harder and harder to get into those phases of cutting. So their their cutting phase is a lot longer just because they are uh, really, A, um, throwing their entire, sorry? Sorry. Never mind. Um, Really just throwing their hormones out of whack. So they have to increase the amount of time it takes them to reduce that body fat down. And just because as a result of, their body's increasing the essentially the number of fat cells in those targeted areas. It, it usually does um, formulate in the, um, the stomach, the belly area. So that's just what you would find. But let's say you wanted to approach this because you want to reach a body fat percentage that you can maintain over, well, let's say a lifetime or a longer period of time. And you're a little bit higher than you are right now to your goal. Use time as, use time on your side. You're not trying to go for a comp right now. You're not trying to achieve uh, the perfect body for a photo shoot 12 weeks out. Spend a little bit more time getting into that homeostasis where you do feel that you can maintain and you'll look good and you'll be happy there. I wouldn't say happy, but you'd be generally healthy there. And so implementing things like refeeds or maybe not refeeds, 
um, diet breaks, sorry. So diet breaks appropriately uh, are an appropriate way to regulate your um, your body so that you're not necessarily putting yourself in a caloric deficit the entire process of the cut. And it may mean you're spending a little more time cutting though. So it may mean you're not cutting for 12 weeks, you're cutting for 24 weeks, but because that progress uh, process is a lot slower, your body is probably going to have a better metabolic response. You're going to also probably, if you are in a deficit, lose less muscle than you would if you were going to cut in 12 weeks because you do lose a little bit of muscle in the process. It also gives your brain a little bit of a breather because obviously throughout this whole time, if you're just stressing your brain out by restricting it constantly, it's going to want what you're not giving it very, very bad. Exactly, exactly. So it's just a healthier way to diet down. Now, I'm not necessarily saying there's a specific plan for this. It's all individualized. But a rule of thumb here, if you do want to diet down, you have to have the outcome mindset of I'm going to achieve this body type long in the future, but it's the slow and steady progress to get there um, that will make all the difference because you're now uh, basically trying to find a new set level of homeostasis for your body. And that's a quite difficult uh, thing to achieve. And that's why a lot of people who do bounce out of a 12-week cut uh, bounce out quite aggressively and it's not sustainable. And it, it does formulate some negative uh, opinions of that uh, process. So you do want to look at it from a, a more of a health-based perspective if you are trying to lose weight. Hmm. I like that. I really do like that. Brief little summary of that one for a, a few people here. Anything, well, pretty much moral of that story, when it comes to nutrition, anything in extremes is generally a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, basically. You know, anything <laughs> in extremes is generally a bad thing. If we're talking about extreme... Uh, drop in calories. So, you know, if you have your, what you think is what you need to eat daily, and then all of a sudden you drop that down massively, let's say you think you need to eat 1500 and all of a sudden you drop that down to 800 and be like, sweet, less is less. Less is not necessarily less all the time. Yeah. If yeah. you just suddenly drop that down massively, your body will go into what's called metabolic maladaptation, which pretty much means that it is screwing your metabolism over mm. And it pretty much means that your body then will not actually be able to do what it is required to do and actually drop body fat or lose weight there until you bring your body back into that homeostasis by actually giving yourself slightly more and then gradually dropping it down, okay? So for the you know the general population out here, if you didn't quite understand any of what we just talked about, don't do things in extremes, do things gradually, Okay, this is a process. You are going to be alive for a very long time. Don't be an idiot. Don't try and get uh, to Andy level body fat in the next two weeks. Yeah, absolutely not. And that's the thing. Don't right? try to get to Andy level body fat anyway. Ever. I'll try again probably in the future sometime just for fun, but not anytime soon. But honestly, like if you're trying to do this from a, just a person who is from the perspective of a person who doesn't need to go into a competition, you don't have an external motivator uh, to do that, do it in a healthy way. It's very common for someone to be stimulated by, uh, let's say you watch, you, you see an Instagram post or you watch all these athletes who look extremely fit. Social you, media loves throwing those at you. Exactly. And that's the purpose of all of it. it is to motivate you to buy stuff 
and to essentially, which will aid in that process of getting down or looking like that athlete or that model. That is going to motivate you to try to drop that weight instantly because you are after that instant gratification there. I don't want to like uh, put anyone in a box, but that's just generally how uh, these stimuli from advertising are made to make you feel. Something else that not many people seem to realize is all of these photos that you see that look amazing on the gram and on social media, generally people don't necessarily walk around like that all year round. Like when we're talking about the stage people, the people who, you know, are on stage, they've generally got a photographer taking a hundred plus photos of them and they can post one photo a day and a hundred photos is just under a third of the year. That actually, you know, looks like they now spend a third of their year in that time. No, they don't. They literally spent one day Absolutely. looking like that. And then they've gone back to maybe what looks like a normal human being for the remainder of the time. Exactly. And then they have a chance to bulk up and shred again and do another photo shoot. Those photo shoots uh, for Instagram, they, they're going through a 12-week cut to get to that point. Everyone loves the gram. Exactly. So, you know, if that is something, if that fits into your values and that's one of your, uh, you need that for your goals then by all means go through the process, but just bear in mind that it is going to be a, a quiet shock to your body and the bounce back can be aggressive and destructive. A lot of issues can erupt from that uh, bounce back. Um, so just bear in mind with uh, with how you diet down. Uh, the, the longer you take to diet down, generally the safer and the more adaptable and easier it will be for you so you can go through everyday life without feeling grumpy and shit yeah to summarize all of that don't listen to us whatsoever no i'm joking <laughs> but what we just referenced and what we just talked about was purely based off of andy's experience yeah, throughout yeah. this whole thing it's very anecdotal so it's, we aren't yeah. <laughs> we aren't nutritionists we aren't dietitians we aren't really anything when it comes down to qualifications in that realm we both do a lot of study and research on this matter. We both look into this, but we aren't actually anything when it comes down to, you know, nutritionists, dietitians, anything like that. So it is up to you guys how much you want to take out of that. But we do recommend if you are going down the realm of weight loss or anything like that, contact someone who is qualified. Feel free to listen to us. Feel free to, you know, listen to what we're talking about here. But remember... Take that with a bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, definitely. And on that point, the point where, where I was actually able to drop the most weight, because I've been trying to uh, experiment or self-experiment on diets and, and plans here and there, the time of which, which is this time, that I was able to drop the most amount of weight and the fastest amount of time was consulting a, a coach who was specifically, um, I reached out specifically for this purpose. So, and, and because he had the expertise and was able to see this from a different perspective, he was able to adjust my macros and my plan accordingly for the goal that I set. And that made all the difference in, in terms of getting the results. So I do recommend finding someone that does have the experience and um, to even bounce out accordingly from diets. If they have experience themselves, the better because it's not necessarily the progress into the um, the final form of you where you're at your, your low, low body fat percentages. It's how you diet um, diet out of that as well. So doing a reverse diet so that you don't get anything uh, which is quite um, common, which are uh, eating disorders from this. So be careful. Find someone who is uh, reputable in the field 
and just be safe and don't be stupid. All right. On that note, we're going to go something with something a little less serious here. We're going with our final part of the podcast. This week, we're talking about our top five appliances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to so, be fun. So this one, <laughs> by appliances, we talked about and we discussed our five uh, appliances that make our day better or even, what's the word, more productive. So, yeah, appliances you may think are in just in the kitchen. I mean, we mean it's anything that has just made your li- our lives better, more efficient, basically streamlining processes. Yeah. I'm going to start with this one, especially when because we were just talking about nutrition for a while and I'm starting to get a little bit hungry. My first one. So this is top five. I'm going to say three. Andy's going to say two here. My first one is an air fryer. Ages ago, we got an air fryer and it is amazing. Chuck something in there, press a button, boom, it cooks it. I get a nice feed afterwards. Well, I've started using that air fryer and honestly is probably the best. I only will get one for myself. Uh, it, it just makes the uh, the process of cooking a lot more faster. It's not like a, a pressure cooker where you leave it on for for like 12 hours. It's perfect chicken done in 20 minutes. And that's it. You just put it in there. And I get to take all the credit for that because I'm cooking the chicken right now. So I get to take the credit for making awesome chicken. He does a pretty good job. <laughs> um, What's yours? Uh, it's a simple one to start off with. And something that I didn't notice it was actually a big part of my life until I lost it recently, which is having a, a decent size, uh, like a thermos or just water bottle that is able to just, um, is not the plastic ones you get at the gym stores, the ones that break easily when you just put it down. Uh, it's an actual stainless steel bottle and it's two liters, and it will be able to uh, keep your water cool and just basically out of the direct sunlight for basically all day. Now, it's huge, and it's cumbersome to move around, but because I have that on me all the time, I'm getting at least one of those bottles down, maybe two a day, which is, the I feel, for me, the appropriate amount of water. It keeps me hydrated, and it's a constant reminder to keep hydrated, which is something that I didn't notice until now, which is I don't have that bottle around me. I'm just constantly feeling fatigued. I was wondering why. And it was just because I wasn't making a regular habit to just keep taking sips from this giant thing. So that's my number, that's for me, like a number one. But this is also in no particular order. Yeah, yeah. Next one, something that, you know, this one, it doesn't necessarily make it more productive. It just makes the environment a little bit better, especially like our work environment uh, Mm. currently. This one, well, we're both guys, you know, we're both smelly boys. We're, the, this one, I personally like having a diffuser on, especially when we're working. So a diffuser is pretty much put a little bit of water in there. You can put a nice scent in there, you know, something like an oil or something like that, an essential oil. You know, I'm not one of those people who rubs lavender oil on everything to try and, you know, cure cancer or something <laughs> like that. But put a little bit of lavender oil in there, turn that one on, just makes the place smell much better, especially when there's two guys living in the house. It just makes working a lot more fun, honestly. I, I don't have to get distracted by a dull scent. And I, I feel is there, there are psychological benefits to having a diffuser in your house anyway. Yeah, yeah. They, well, yeah, they do talk about the whole like different scents stimulating different uh, responses in the brain, etc. So, But we're not going to go into detail on that one. Just nice to have it in the house. Yeah. What's your second one? Oh, yeah. So uh, as you know, I may be some, I'm someone who is on, in front of a computer all the time. And 
the biggest benefit to having um, to be someone in front of a computer is having the ability to multitask. So uh, a curved screen monitor, like a 24, no, not 24 inch, a 32 or maybe a 34 inch curved screen monitor has been the best purchase I made in like years, just because it's given me that ability to multitask without having two monitors with that gap in the middle. And it's essential. When you're having a laptop and you can plug it into these uh, monitors, you're able to streamline work a lot faster. It's maybe more uh, productive. And when reviewing documents or you're just just trying to get more work done and having a holistic view over all your work, that has been a big key element to all of it. Instead of just looking at my laptop or even having one small off-the-side monitor. It's, uh, and if, you know, I'll recommend one, Dell. Dell has a great 34-inch monitor, which has been like, the color grade is amazing. Are you sponsored? I should be, but no. Um, but definitely, like, that monitor has saved my butt a ton of times and made me way better at just uh, getting stuff done. All right, now I'll mention my last one here, which actually I'm really going to go with two more. Sorry, Andy, but oh. purely because I thought of one just then, which is very, very important. But anyway, before that, as you would know, I'm literally going to pick one up today because I think they're absolutely amazing, but it is a cordless vacuum. Yes. Currently, you like, oh, vacuuming is just, I find it horrible. I hate walking around with a cord, hate having to plug a cord in, you yep. know, then having to unplug it, everything like that. Cordless vacuum, boom, charge it, walk around, nice and easy. Going to go pick myself up a good old Dyson today. I think there's two types of people in this world, and it's those who have that one vacuum that has lasted their entire life and actually works, and the others are constantly buying vacuums and them not working at all. That's me. So I think I might even do the same thing at Dyson. I'm just excited to use it. Finally, clean my car. Excited to vacuum my house? Just clean my car. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the last one, which I spontaneously will, we didn't talk about this one before, but I am going to bring up is I have a light alarm clock. My alarm clock emits light, as in it is a big alarm clock, which is completely dark throughout the night. But let's say I set it for 6 a.m. in the morning. Half an hour before that, it gradually gets brighter and brighter and brighter until as soon as it hits 6 a.m., it is at full light, okay, which is, I think it has 21 different light settings here, and you can use it as a lamp in itself, but at its full brightness, it's pretty much just like having a light on in the bedroom, okay? Mm. So that wakes me up nicely rather than just a constant, just a start of a noise just shocking me awake. This actually gradually wakes me up seems a lot more natural to wake up rather than uh, spontaneous. Well, it's just like the sun rising, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Best investment, buy one. Yeah, absolutely. I feel with all these appliances, there's always one little thing that they're trying to save you on and it's time. Or with that light, for instance, it's just a convenient, a kind of comfort for once mm. and your health and just convenience. Uh, if you guys have any uh, appliances that you have found have really benefit your day, your life, your productivity, let us know because uh, we're always willing to go and give things a, a good old crack. So yeah, let us know in the comments if there's any appliances that you guys uh, have used in the past or even right now that have really made your life better. Uh, Carter, do you have anything more to add? 
No, I reckon we wrap it up because we've been talking for ages. I know, right? We've just been rambling on. So, you know, thank you so much for listening, guys. Of course, uh, subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes and uh, Spotify. the Google Spotify now, are we? Yeah, yeah Spotify. Spotify and the Google Play Store. So check us out on those uh, three platforms. And of course, if you did enjoy the podcast, please give us a review on uh, iTunes. We appreciate everyone who does that. It really helps out with the episodes moving forward. And if you have any questions, again, send them through. We love answering those. And so, yeah, to sum things up, we're excited for episode six. Let us know if you have your own topics you want to add to that. And uh, I guess we'll be signing out. I'll catch you guys. See you later, everyone.